Thanks, Katie, and good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name is Matt, and it's very special to have all the kids in with us today for an all-in service this Good Friday. Kids, you won't realise it yet, but most of us, as we get older, we don't remember much of what it was like to be a kid. For most adults, up until about age four, total blank, can't remember anything that's happened. And after that, you tend just to remember the big things, the great holidays, the first day at school, things that scared you or made you laugh. I was thinking this week of what some of my earliest memories were, and they were from our family holidays at the beach at a place called Hardwick Bay on York Peninsula. We fished there a lot and had a boat. You can see a, a photo up on screen of you know, little, little Matty John when he was uh, three. That's me with Dad. And we're sitting on a tractor there because you needed a tractor at Hardwick Bay if you were fishing because it's shallow for a long way out. So you need a tractor to drive out into the water deep enough to launch your boat. Another photo up on screen there. That's, that's what you do when you use a tractor to pull the boat out of the ocean. So much fun for a kid on a tractor driving out to sea. Fantastic. <laughs> you then launch the boat. You put the anchor down. Uh, and you kind of then drive the tractor back up the beach, park it there, and then walk back out to the boat to go fishing. I reckon one of my earliest memories came from a particular day when I was about three or four, and Dad and I were walking out through the shallow water to the boat, and along came a stingray. There's a photo of a stingray uh, up on screen there. And as a little kid, I freaked out. (laughs) I screamed, I'm sure. And Dad picked me up and I kind of clambered up him right up onto his shoulders and he walked us out to the boat. I still love the ocean, surfing, boating, paddleboarding. You do pick up a lot from your parents and we're trying to instill the same love of the ocean into our kids. But also, if I'm honest, I'm still a little bit scared of stingrays. So about 10 years ago, I was at the beach uh, when Jack was about the same age I was in that photo and Sienna was even younger, she was less than two. And we're out on a sandbar, a bit like you are at uh, Glenelg sometimes, hot summer evening out in the sandbar in some shallow water, four, two-year-old in the water with me, and along came a stingray. (laughs) Now, the kids might not remember because I don't think they saw it and I was trying to keep them calm, but of course I picked them straight up one in each arm, they didn't see it, but all my stingray fears came back to me. And to get to the safety of shore, I had to step off the standbar and walk through deeper water. And I know from surfing and paddleboarding that often when you see one stingray, there are others about because they tend, they're rarely alone. Now, kids, I don't want to give you nightmares. In reality, <laughs> you don't really need to be afraid of stingrays. If you don't bother them, they won't bother you. I just have a bit of an irrational fear of them because I reckon they look really scary. And it was probably from those earliest memories I had being scared as a kid. So as I kind of walked through the water, summoning up my courage as a dad, I thought to myself, even if the stingray comes and it lashes me on the legs with its barbed tail, I'll just have to take it because in my arms are the two most precious things in the world to me, are much smaller than now, Jack and Cece. And if you get that heart, that instinctive, protective, self-sacrificial love shown towards someone really precious to you, I think that image and that feeling can help you understand just one of the many beautiful truths 
that led Jesus to die on the cross and why for followers of Jesus this day really is a good, good Friday. We read about some of the story on that first Good Friday from Luke's account of Jesus' life and it's moving to be sure. But for just a few minutes, and your kids are being fantastic this morning, just a few minutes, I want to unpack one verse in the Bible written by one of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, that helps us understand why it was necessary for Jesus to die and why he knew he must endure it. I'll pop it up on screen there. It's from Peter's letter. It's uh, referred to in the Bible as 1 Peter 3.18, where we read of that day on Good Friday, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. This one verse summarizes so much of what God shares with us about his ways and the relational problem that we have with him. That last phrase, to bring you to God, shows us what's written right across the Bible, that what Jesus achieved through his death was actually to bring us back into relationship with God. Cover to cover, the Bible reveals to us that we need to be brought back to God because by default, our relationship with him is broken. So broken that many in our world don't think he's there or or if they do, they doubt God's love. They doubt God wants the very best for us. And as people encounter God and his word, they don't actually see a list, some rules and ways of living laid out by a loving father who knows best, protecting those things most precious to him. No, we don't see it that way at all. We actively rebel against God's ways. We often think, I reckon I could have far more fun breaking the rules. Have you ever thought that, kids? I know I have. (laughs) And it's actually at the heart of what the Bible calls sin is underneath that is this broken relationship because it's a sad fact that we're happy to live just for ourselves with no one else to answer to and we don't want to live with God as our king. So imagine kids, imagine if you grew up and you said to a dad who loves you, I want to use your holiday house at Hardwick Bay, I want to be able to borrow your boat I'd kind of like as much of an inheritance as you can afford to give me now, but I want nothing to do with you. You're dead to me. Now, that would be a tragedy. That would be really sad, wouldn't it, kids? But it's what the Bible claims that we do to God. We say, we want all the great things that you have made, but we don't want you. It's a relational problem. But not only have we trashed the relationship vertically between us and God, we also, and we've all experienced this, kids, we also hurt one another and our world by our actions sometimes, but also sometimes in knowing good things we should do, but we choose not to because we'd prefer to live for ourselves. And in doing so, it kind of adds a further layer of sin against God because he lovingly created every person on the planet and cares for them deeply. So when we sin against each other, God takes it personally like a loving dad. And all of this leaves us with a really big problem between us and God because God is just and fair. He has to be just. He can't, doesn't have a choice not to be. So kind of innate is it in God's character. So he has to punish wrongdoing. And because he's perfect and can tolerate no sin in his presence... 
we can't run back to him by ourselves because we are unrighteous. We're not right with God because of our sin. And if that's how God left things, that'd be a pretty sad end to the story of our world. But because each of us is really precious to God, and because he's our loving Heavenly Father, he made a plan. Jesus, God's only Son, came willingly to take the punishment for our sin so that God's justice could be upheld. And out of great love for us, Jesus made a really bad swap for him that was a great swap for us, just like Katie brought out in the kids' talk this morning. It was a great exchange. Jesus was the only one to walk this planet free of sin, the only one who never did anything wrong. Can you imagine that, kids? Have you met anyone like that? I haven't. (laughs) And as the second criminal acknowledged all of this, as he said on the cross, being crucified next to Jesus, he acknowledged that fact. He said, we are being punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, looking at Jesus, he has done nothing wrong. Not only was Jesus sinless, but he was the only one who had a perfect, loving and trusted relationship with God the Father for all of his days. Jesus was in the right with God. It's what we call righteousness. That's what the centurion, again speaking a little better than he knew, deeply moved by Jesus' death, said, surely this was a righteous man. Jesus made a bad swap for him and a great exchange for us as he swapped his righteousness for our unrighteousness, bearing the full justice of God's right anger against sin on his shoulders on the cross not just for your sin or for my sin, but for the sins of the whole world. That's what that passage means. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And because that debt of sin has been paid for, God's justice is satisfied. And because Jesus gives us his righteousness to all who ask him, He can bring us back to God, our loving Heavenly Father. We can come back to this holy, sinless, perfect God, unafraid, because Jesus on the cross made us right with God, righteous. When we look back at that first Easter, kids, I reckon it was the first criminal who asked the most interesting question posed that day. When he said to Jesus, in not a kind way, he said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us, he cried. And when you think about it, the guy probably, again, like everyone seems on that day, spoke a bit better than he knew because Jesus, as God's son, as we've saw across his life, could control the wind and the waves with a word. He could bring back the dead to life. He could have called on an army of angels at any point to stop all of this. Yet Jesus chose to stay there because he knew it was always the plan for God's justice and his love to meet at that one moment on the cross. He did it because he knew it was the only way he could bring us back to God. I think we all get the heart of a a dad like me prepared to walk through 
deep waters, even with my irrational fears of uh, stingrays, a dad prepared to endure pain and to walk into danger knowing that he's keeping some of the most precious things to him in his life safe. How much more so was the love of Jesus displayed as he willingly endured the cross, as he chose to walk into danger, to allow himself to be arrested, beaten, mocked, nailed to a cross and hung up to die to keep us safe from death, safe in his arms as it were, because we are immensely precious to him. Kids, you are immensely precious to God and you're always safe in Jesus' arms. But I want to say to you this Good Friday, you really get something of the heart of Jesus' love for us when you realise it wasn't the nails that held Jesus there on the cross. It was love for you and for me which is why right around the world today, Christians are remembering this good, good Friday. I'm going to pray and then we're going to have a song. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus out of great love for us to pay sin's penalty and to make the greatest swap in history, changing Jesus' righteousness for our unrighteousness so that you could bring us back to you for all eternity. Please help us to comprehend this afresh or perhaps some for the first time, the heart of love that willingly held Jesus there to the cross. And it's in his precious and very powerful name we pray. Amen. Thanks, kids.